before we dive in, if you're already listening to Made You Think, we've we've been informed that it's perhaps not the best name for the podcast. And now we're and we're we're we're, we're maybe agreeing with it. <laughs> like <laughs> like maybe we need maybe we need to rebrand this thing a little bit. Uh, and so if if you have been listening for a while and uh, you agree or disagree, then I'm curious to hear your thoughts because. Uh, and maybe we'll do like a live episode or something where we brainstorm with people or maybe we'll just go figure it out in uh, in isolation. I don't know. Yeah. But we were having a good conversation about that before we started recording. So definitely curious to hear other longtime listeners' thoughts as well. Yeah, definitely. to be fair, like I think there's two things. There's like, what do you personally think about the name? And then what do you, what reaction do you get when you tell the name to other people who haven't listened to the show? Because I think that I, was the frame that I was having trouble with initially when he said that. I was like, it's a great name. What's he talking about? Mm. And when we got this feedback and then I thought about it and I was like, if someone told me the name made you think, I would either think it's like a philosophy show or like something about like, I don't know, some scientific mysteries or like, I don't know, something that like isn't exactly what we do. So I kind of actually understand now. Uh, totally. To be fair, we came up with the name that I think uh, just in like a text conversation in like summer 2017. 2017. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't like there was a lot of thought that went into it in the first place. No. And you know, there's nothing wrong with doing a rebrand. Yeah. Adil, what do you think? Mind. I know you're the you're the man behind the logo. So <laughs> I'm get, I think we should just do a wide ranging brainstorm, do it live. Yeah. It's just like tangent. We'll think about I like it. it. Yeah. Tangent yeah, fuel. I like Speaking it. of tangent fuel. Uh, are we going to do the tangent branded coffee? Oh, we, <laughs> we absolutely should. We absolutely should. It'd be, it'd be cool if, uh, I wonder if Eric would do like a licensing deal with Levercraft coffee or something. We could oh, that'd be good do that. That would be great. Yeah. Tangent coffee powered by. Powered by Levercraft. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. There's also, there's a new, for anybody who's in Austin, there's a new spot that I think is the best coffee in town called Desnudo. And it's two brothers from Colombia who have a tiny little food truck that they put just an insane espresso setup in. And they're sourcing the beans from, I think it's their cousin back in Colombia who like runs a coffee farm. And then they're roasting everything themselves. And it's like the best coffee I think I've ever had at a coffee establishment. Like not just in Austin, but anywhere wow it's, that's what makes it incredible the i mean one the roast the is perfect no, so it's just like <laughs> wow neil <laughs> canceled <laughs> so it, it's just like it, it, you know it's incredibly smooth flavorful espresso and then you know no bitterness no burntness it's you know just impeccably done the milk they're using is super high quality and then whatever they're using to steam and froth it they get a a texture to it that I I don't think I've ever seen anybody else do, where it's incredibly fluffy and dense. They describe it as like a marshmallow, and it really is like an artisan marshmallow on your cappuccino. Oh wow! Uh, and it it's just so good. So With nothing other like, than milk, like they're not putting yeah, something else. Yeah, in they're that. not adding sweetness or anything. It's just like something about the way they're foaming it creates this like really unique texture wow. to it. Uh, where it's a little bit thicker of a foam than you might might normally have. And uh, yeah, and then they do pour overs and everything. And even though they're this like little truck in a food park, they'll do the whole like wooden platter with the glass, you know, uh, 
large mug and then your little mug that they heat somewhere in their trailer and bring it out to you. Uh, so you can like sit there and have like a full coffee experience. Uh, it, it's a really special spot. So awesome. they, what was the name? They again? could be a, a secondary contender. Desnudo. D-E-S-N-U-D-O. Nice. Yeah. That's that Which means nice. naked, I think. Yeah. And it's actually the, uh, yeah, it, it's great. So if you're in Austin, just check that. Maybe they can power the coffee. Yeah, I think that they'd be the fallback. <laughs> the other thing that they do, which I, I have so much respect for and makes me appreciate how uh, broken our American minds are, is it, it, these guys have no urgency. None. Yeah. If there's a line out of their trail, if there, there can be a line five, six, seven people deep, and they will still take the time to be like, hey, Nat, hey, Coco, how's it going? Hi. Like, you know, say hi to our daughter. They'll like steam some milk for her. They'll, you know, ask how our week is going. We'll talk to them. There, there is absolutely no, we need to get through this line. Like, and, and when you go, you know, you're going to have to wait maybe 15 minutes for your coffee. And they're just like, that's just how they want to do business. <laughs> like, they want to enjoy it and have the good relationships, that whole, like, uh, that slower vibe to it, which is awesome. And you uh, know what? That works if your product is amazing. Totally. If your product sucks, you're just completely yeah, screwed yeah. at that point. <laughs> <Can't compare laughs> but, <it>. no. <laughs> like yeah, if Starbucks like if Starbucks tried that, they'd be in trouble. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. But these guys probably are so good that it like doesn't matter that they're it's doing that. Yeah. Like, people you're will wait. Totally willing people, to wait. Yeah. 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 yeah right. It's like not a commodity whatsoever. Not at all. That's... I will say one other one other mm -hmm. thing before we go into what we're actually here to talk about. Um, I re-listened to the Comfort Crisis episode, and mm -hmm. we all sound so much better having the nice. same mic. Nice. It's, it's like night and day. It, yeah, that was it. a great call that we all uh, like decided to get the same mic. Upgrading the mics, getting my Wi-Fi working, getting the coffee, new brand, new website. I don't know. Look at Would us. You... Also, if you haven't listened, it's going to be our year. It's going to be the year. <laughs> I mean, if someone hasn't listened to the Comfort Crisis episode... Or hasn't read the book. Like I just re-listening to that, I was like, "Wow, this is probably one of the more impactful books I've read in the last year." Even I started, though it's like, yeah, I just throw weights in my bag everywhere I go now. Oh yeah, I did that the other day. I'm gonna do that today. I have I have to like meet someone in person. I'm like, it's like a 50 minute walk. I'm just gonna go with a heavy bag, like yeah. 50 go. minutes each way. It's a nice nice little ruck there. Did your Amazon one arrive? No, that's tomorrow. So that's right tomorrow. now, I'm just throwing stuff in my other bag, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it does the same job. It's just I, I like would rather have a dedicated one yeah. than like have the one I use for everything else. I was going to say, if, you, if you're listening and you missed the Comfort Crisis episode, I messed up when I published it. And so it actually probably showed up in your podcast player as being published a week earlier than it was. So if you were like, sorting by new or something, you may have missed it because it would have it would have just skipped your latest uh, episodes. So now we know. Now we know for the future. Yeah. I guess we could actually, we could go in and just update the publish date to today. Oh, yeah, we could <laughs> actually. Resurface it. Should we just do that? <laughs> right? Like, Wait, Nat, don't give this idea to too many people because otherwise <laughs> podcast feeds are going to become such a I spam know, fest. Everyone's so, going to update it to like every single day and be like, I want to be at the top. <laughs> 
I mean, that's what you do in SEO. I know. That's what I was thinking. And now things, Google's change ruined. Change the published date. Yeah. Uh, now Google is oh. Google is ruined. So <laughs> Google Google's on its way out. I, I have uh, I have some SEO alpha for our our, our our listeners who are joining us, which is like well, they have uh, to be on TikTok. the Patreon though. That's oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> RIP. <laughs> Sign up for the Oops. Patreon, and then you get the SEO alpha. Yeah. Just yeah. kidding. Just uh, kidding. <laughs> TikTok SEO is super naive, like early Google days naive. And so uh, while, while Google does not have the low-hanging fruit that it used to, there's a surprising amount of searching happening on TikTok that uh, can be can be gone after. I think we need to become TikTok famous. Dude, Matt, you already are on your way, so. Yeah. <laughs> I've gotten... 4 million views in the last three weeks. Wow. <laughs> so you are TikTok famous. <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> does it break up it, uh, how many people actually watch through versus how many scroll by? Like, does it give you that level of detail? You can see the average view duration on each video and you can see like a curve of how it drops off. Oh, so great. when you're digging into like what's working and what's not, you can get some decent uh, visibility into that info. Nice. But, you picked up anything interesting from that? Uh, a, f- a few like random things. We can talk about it offline. You know, I don't want to don't want to give away too much here. It's, <laughs> it's the, you know, it's like the the time to write the articles about like here's how to do well on YouTube or TikTok is in like two years after you've done it, right? And like all those tactics are kind of worn out. It's like it's like crypto. You know, you, you gotta like you, you gotta exit and then you like. Or you, you got to accumulate your position and then you pump your bets, right? <laughs> all right, all right. So yeah, you can't do once, it in the you can't do it in the middle of it unless you can make your own life harder. No, no, no. Yeah. Once it gets like a million followers, then I'll you know launch the course. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually see that coming. You should start the pre-order, like the pre-launch. Like you, people can pay for it now. You you guys should totally get on it though if you're if you're remotely curious. It's pretty incredible, and I think most people think it's just silly videos of kids dancing um yeah i need to like, explore it more I pretty pretty incredible there. educational side to it too that is it just think... like so is and we're way off topic here but it's kind of china related i guess you could say it's <laughs> <laughs> so my question <laughs> man i already have two two potentially cancelable jokes strikes. in <laughs> In 12 minutes. Um, all right. The, the, the China-related thing I was going to say is, you know how the, the, they say the algorithm is different in China versus the U.S.? I'm always like a little bit skeptical of that because couldn't it just be like what we click on teaches the algorithm to like push that yeah, stuff I, to our people more? I would be very surprised if it were legitimately a different algorithm. I think like I suspect that there are more restrictions on the kinds of content. Yeah, that can be. I would believe that. Yeah. Shown, well, not familiar but, with... I mean, oh, okay. So, just for anyone not familiar, yeah. for for anyone not familiar, basically, there people say this is. I don't think it's ever been confirmed, as far as I know. But people say that um, TikTok has a different algorithm, like feed algorithm, in China versus the U.S. And like the examples people always show is like in China, they're showing like achievement oriented things or like science or learning related mm. things in the in the feed. And in the U.S., it's like, you know, these ridiculous little like dance videos um, or these like, you know, the content that's certainly not educational. What Nat is saying, which I which makes me think that the 
algorithm isn't actually that different, but it's more about what we click on that's teaching the algorithm what you like. Uh, is that Nat saying like there's a lot of educational stuff and interesting things in, in the feed? And I'm like, that's probably because he's clicking on those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's kind of like it, Twitter it too. Really if fun. you if you like political content all day on Twitter, it's going to show you more political content in your feed too. It's the, like these things are like there's definitely like uh, they're giving you what you engage with. Yeah, the algorithm is the mirror. Totally. It's just optimized for engagement. Yeah. So if you're yeah. engaging with the educational stuff, it'll show you more of that. If you want to watch people dance, then you're going to get more of that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's interesting. Anyway. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for that, that last tangent for now. <laughs> Should we dive into the book? Is it time? Let's, let's it's time. In. Okay. So, so we're doing the Confucian Analects. Analects? Is that how you say it? Analects, yeah. Analects of Confucius. Yeah. Today, which is, uh, at least from what I was able to find, a uh, compilation of just sayings and ideas that was actually not compiled by him, but by his followers in later years. Um, so it almost reminds me of like some of the even Western philosophy things that we've seen. Socrates. Like Socrates. Same deal. Yeah. Socrates never wrote anything. Exactly. Yeah, it was yep. just compiled by Plato and others. Yep. Yeah, and the other thing that was really interesting <laughs> is that Confucius is not a like that name came about so late. So Confucius lived from 551 to 479 BC. And the name Confucius wasn't actually coined till the late 16th century AD by Jesuit missionaries, because it was how they heard like the Mandarin version translated or like, that's how they heard it. It was like I don't even know how to pronounce this. Does anybody know how to pronounce <laughs> I like, Mandarin? I can, see, I can see your eyes. Like, do I try Kung to pronounce Fuzi. this? <laughs> yeah. I, Kung I'm Fuzi? not even going to try. Um, but it was just how they like how they wrote it and translated it. So the name Confucius, which we all know as the philosopher, the sage's name, isn't really a... Um, wasn't the original name necessarily. Or it was similar to the original name. It was just this is like the Western version of it. It's kind of interesting since it's so similar to what we talked about, or not so similar, but somewhat similar to what we talked about in the Tao Te Ching episode, right? Where uh, Lao Tzu might not even be an mm -hmm. individual, it just might mean teacher, uh, yeah. right? Or enlightened one or whatever. And <clears throat> so, I mean, in this case, it does seem like that was the actual name, but the, even just the way we're saying it, Confucius, right? Like in some sense, that's almost uh, uh, like a... What's the right term here? Character, not exactly, but you know, it's almost like an idea as much as a person, right? And we, we made the Socrates analogy earlier, and that, that's another good example in the sense that most of the writing of Socrates speaking was not actually stuff he ever said. It was put in his mouth by other writers. And so I feel like even with something like this, where, okay, it wasn't, his writing, it was compiled by students and whatnot. Like, okay, what, what do we think the accuracy percentage is, right? How much of it was right. interpretation by students versus what was actually said? Uh, you know, how did that change over time? Um, it's probably a little more accurate since it is direct quotations from lessons, supposedly. But it is interesting that we have these historical characters who you know, didn't do their own writing, but had their thoughts compiled by others. 
I didn't realize How, what, I was go ahead and do. I was reading about Buddhism recently and Buddha was I think only about 500 years before Christ. All three of them were alive at about the same time I think. Socrates, Confucius and Buddha. I think oh, you wow. theoretically could have met all wow. three of them in one human life. Wow. Yeah, let's see. So we just said the dates for Confucius which was 500 BC ish. The Buddha was 6th or 5th century BC, no one's sure, but roughly, it says born either 563 BC or 480 BC, which yes, that's basically right in line with Confucius. Yeah, yeah. And, and Socrates, Socrates is 470 to 400-ish. Yep, so that's right in line so, yeah. too, similar. You, you totally could have met all three of them. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty wild. It is interesting yeah. though that uh, I, I do find it fascinating how some of these are have contemporaries who have written about them and then for some it's later like if you think of like the gospels like it was a lot of those are documented by uh christ's contemporaries that fascinates me quite a bit because it really affects you're reading at this point the views of the like this you know descendants students so on uh and any kind of mutations may have taken place in that period that we just don't have access to yeah that, that's the other big example right jesus didn't actually pen anything it was all written by others am i right i think I believe so, so but they know. were they were so. his contemporaries so yeah were, yeah it was yeah. at the same yeah. time yeah right but again it's like you have the same thing like uh how do you know if words were put in his mouth or not yeah yeah based yeah. on that because yeah yep that's interesting the other thing that yeah. I found what? fascinating, this was very uh, explicitly about virtue in a way that I don't remember if it's Plato who says, like, what is virtue? Um, but it was very different. Aristotle, from... Aristotle has a pretty strong ethics, like, okay. focused on that, right? It, his his actually ends up aligning somewhat close to some of the Eastern stuff and that he's, he's, like, very all about moderation, mm -hmm. right? And, like, good action. Um, I mean, Plato does, too. Uh, and I mean, there's the whole like Socratic dialogues talking about some of that as well. But when, when you said that Aristotle was the first one that came to mind. Makes sense. Yeah. But, but what it, by contrast, Taoism seemed to me at least a lot more spiritual and internal. Whereas this hmm. felt a lot more like philosophical, like interpersonal. Uh, it, it did have like the internal spiritual aspects of it, but they felt secondary to me. Yes. Yeah, this was like, more, I thought like related hmm. to how you relate to others. A lot more than it was. I mean, it was, there was a spiritual aspect to it, but certainly like Tao Te Ching was much more, it was almost entirely inner, inner game, basically. Yeah, yeah that's a good way of putting me. it. But it feels <laughs> like if you were trying to do like, how do I meditate or pray, right? Following a reading of the Tao, you'd be like, okay, these are the things I would meditate on or pray about. Whereas this was a lot more like, how do I behave in different circumstances? Uh, so, mm -hmm. I mean, they're separate, but I could see ways where they're quite uh, complementary. They, I was actually trying to think of where these would contradict one another. Um, probably around like the areas of like non-action from Taoism is probably the biggest one. Mm. Yeah, th this is a little more like of an active prescription. What did you think of the reading experience of both books? Like I'll say for myself, I think there was probably some context I was missing in the Confucian one in terms of who the other people were, right? Because there's a lot of other called characters, I guess, referenced in it. You know, it's like, so if you haven't read it yet, it takes the form of like these conversations 
in some parts. And, you know, sometimes it'll say the master said, and, the, and, and that's like the most common thing, the master being Confucius. But then there are all these sort of other people who are asking questions or who they even reference in their advice. It's almost wonder, like, at least the version that I had is actually, I think the same one that you have a deal that that sort of um, hard copy, like Eastern yeah. texts book. I actually wish there was commentary in that one about, yeah, that's the exact one. Um, I wish there was commentary ab about all the different analects because uh, not necessarily, I mean, it wasn't that dense in terms of being hard to understand, but it was this sort of like all the side characters context is, yeah. is not things that I understood. That would have been useful. And I actually do think there were two books in here I almost didn't really understand at all. Uh, book 10 and book 18. I really struggled with what was happening. Book 10. Which one was book 10? What was that one about? Just while I pull it up. Yeah, like when he was fasting or he did not like yeah. to, he did not dislike to have his rice finely cleaned nor to yeah. have his minced meat cut quite small. So it was just like about his like living no, that, style, I guess. Yeah, I, that I did gather, but it was more so like where the lessons were, were less clear here. I mean, it wasn't prescribed. Yeah. Uh, it There... This seemed like yeah, the one you would interpret the most, like the, you know, not cleaning the rice. Maybe there has something to do with like modesty and indulgence in food and focus on other things. Right. Yeah. And how like he liked his wine, but he didn't go beyond like, yeah. or he didn't, I forgot the terminology they used, but. Now I remember, I forget the word. This is almost like the dogma part of it. If someone were to follow like Confucianism, it's like, oh, he didn't clean his rice. So I'm not going to clean my rice. Like. You can interpret this one that way, this book that way. Yeah. 18 was a lot of like characters in government and like the courts. Yes. And um, this one, I felt the lessons were even more obscure. Yeah. This is the one with the Chang Su, who I didn't know who that was. So I was like, uh, my mid, like, there, there's definitely a context I don't know here. Oh, yeah. I, I had no idea what was going on in this book. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I, the, I bet like and this is probably, you know, we if somebody had the context or someone had mm -hmm. kind of studied this period of history more, this might be like illustrating some of the lessons that they've talked about in this, yeah. but just with like almost a real world example, but we don't know the context to interpret the real world example. It would be like yeah. if somebody's using like certain lessons to show like, oh, this is what Churchill did versus this is what Hitler did. And like, you don't know who Churchill and Hitler are and there's no context. You would just be like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, who are these people? Like That's you kind of need to know who they are to understand yeah. what's going on. The significance yeah. of their actions. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question about readability, well, though, I thought this was very readable. Like I thoroughly enjoyed going through it and I highlighted a ton. Uh, I have tabs on like, yeah. eventually I was just like, I was just not putting tabs because like, well, I'm highlighting like two to three things a page. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mentioned this before, uh, maybe in an earlier episode or on Twitter or something, but if you, if you really like letters from a stoic or meditations or that sort of like stoic, very clear prescriptive style, it's very similar to that where there, there's almost no fluff. It's just like, here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. Here's what you should do. <laughs> yeah. You're not, you're not like <laughs> slogging through Kantian arguments, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. There's like some stuff that's contextually confusing, but the advice is very, here's what to do. But it's, it's not rule-based. It's like mm -hmm. example-based. It's like, hey, like 
this is the broad strokes of what a virtuous life looks like. And here are some examples of it. And from that, you need to extrapolate. Uh, and it's not yeah. like, yeah, it's not, it didn't feel like a laundry list at any point. It was just like, what is virtue? Well, virtue is, you know, take little, give much. It's like, okay. So, mm-hmm. uh, you do reading it does feel at times like you're listening in on a conversation between students and a teacher, you know, student and a yeah. old wise person, like a wise elder in your village or something like that. Yeah. So the main themes then were like virtue and then derivative of there is like self-improvement such that you can be virtuous, uh, governance such as it follows from possessing virtue, virtuous friendships. Uh, I actually added a whole category here of there were passages in here that I've been reading some Rumi, uh, it was an Islamic poet, and there were some passages where, and I was like pulling uh, Angela and Suman, I was like, can you take a guess? Like, is this Confucius or Rumi? And they were either (laughs) guessing wrong or just uh, completely unable to tell. Uh, It'd be fun to kind of go through some of those. Uh, But there there were a lot of parallels there that really stood out. Hey, wait, why don't you why don't you do it for the podcast? Or... Yeah, <laughs> let's do uh, like well, two, two. Yeah, let three. me get the Rumi book so that I can uh, throw a couple in there that aren't just Confucius. Give me ten seconds. Go cool. okay. It's gonna be a trick question. They're all gonna be Confucius. He's just getting up to throw throw us off. <laughs> <laughs> there were there was there were some really interesting ones. Like Nat, you tweeted. Um, even one about like how people I, I used love to, that one. Yeah, I was going through and pulling out my. Yeah, my read it out loud. And, I don't have it exactly. Yeah. Right, so I was going to paraphrase, but it's uh, yes. So and I, I just love that this is a quotation like from Confucius twenty five hundred years ago. It says, yeah. uh The master oh, yeah. said, "Men of antiquity studied to improve themselves." Men today study to impress others. Feels like something you would hear today, too. So of it course. kind of makes you feel like, okay, this is just a timeless problem of the, you know, ah, th- things things were better before. Now they're <laughs> gone to shit. You, you know, one of the reasons for that, I, I, after reading your quote, I, I thought of this. It's like the only people we know of from before are like the elite thinkers or the elite writers yeah, or like point. the best of the best. And today we got all like, you got those same elite type of people, but you also have way more mediocre and like not even mediocre people. So you feel probably, that probably oh, a, the same ratio. It's yeah. probably the same ratio. Exactly. The a- actual ratio is probably the same, but it's just, you only know about the Confucius. You don't know about like the guy who was trying to be Confucius, who had two followers. The pig farmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 All right, how about I'll do uh, four short quotes and we'll put the answers okay. at the end of the episode or something. Uh, all right. Well, you could, why, don't, why don't you read them and Neil and I will guess and then yeah. you can tell us. Okay. Because then people can play <laughs> along as they're listening. They don't have to listen. Yeah, fair they don't have to wait until the end. All right. Um, he who offends against heaven has none to whom he can pray. Mm-hmm. Confucius. I'm going to go Rumi. Confucius. <sighs> All right, one All zero. Right. All right, <laughs> let's go. Neil's on. <laughs> Here's another one. Uh, Though the tree drinks from hidden roots, 
we see the display of its branches. Whatever the earth took from heaven, it yields up honestly in spring. Roomy. Yeah, Roomy. Yeah, that one's Roomy. All right, All right two, one. All right, let's go. <laughs> They will implant their qualities in you until you forget that the best qualities are here. Rumi. I think Rumi, yeah. Yeah, that's also Rumi. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Three, two. Uh, all right, last one. <laughs> uh, they who know the truth are not equal to those who love it, and those who love it are not equal to those who delight in it. Confucius. Confucius. Did we lose that? Confucius. No, we, we both said Confucius. Oh, Confucius. Yeah, that's Confucius. But, okay, so you guys actually did quite well, but you see the, <laughs> the similarities. Yeah, yeah, there definitely are. It's not, it's not obvious. Like the, no. I was purely going off of certain word choices. Exactly, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, like yeah it's very close. From the ideas. No, it's very similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do wonder... Wait, also, I do have one question. Mm -hmm. Which... Which Rumi uh, translation are you are you reading? Um, I need to check. It's it's a compilation, and the editor yeah. is Kabir Helminski. But I don't know if he's the translator. Okay. I think he edited the translation of others, so I'd have to check. Do you, is it like a hard copy? Yeah. What does it look like if you have it? Oh, nice. Okay, yeah, that's a different one. The one that mm -hmm. I had read was a different compile, like compilation guy, and. He was actually criticized, criticized, but also like praised because he was kind of putting his own spin on Rumi in the translations. Hmm. Like, I, I don't know enough of the original language, obviously, to even know how it works to translate that to English. But people were saying there was some. So the criticism was that he changed certain words, like there was a better choice for certain words than the one that hmm. he picked. And his his take on it was <clears throat> uh, it would be less poetic in English if he had picked the other word. So he was trying to like, he said he was trying to keep the beauty of it, like translate the beauty of it, not the exact like word for word translation. Um, yeah. And, but he was, but he was also like in, in English, like, like a white Englishman. And so part of the controversy was like, you know, it was kind of tied to that whole thing of like, Oh, he's changing yeah. the meaning of it and like putting his own meaning on it. But at the same but time, it's like, I can kind of see the value of what he was doing too. I think for any translation, you just, if you're very intent on uh, going deep on it, you just have to read multiple and compare. Like I think yeah. I told you guys the Michael Sells book with the translation of the Quran, where anywhere he felt uncertain, he would put multiple of them side by side and you were to read all mm -hmm. of them. And I, I thought that was just the best treatment of that kind of work I had seen. Uh, and then when we did Dao, we had that website with the three translations. Side yeah, that side. was cool. That was really good too. They're so different. But anyway, yeah. the reason I, part of the reason this stood out to me is, you know, Rumi was 1,800 years after Confucius. So I, I wonder if there's like any influence there uh, or if it's just like they were sort of inspired in a similar way and thus had a, uh, I don't know, similar tone. But it doesn't, it's, this is what, how Rumi is all the time. And it was only how Confucius was in the Analects sometimes. And of course, Analects weren't written by Confucius. So caveat, caveat, caveat. But yeah. it did stand out to me. Yeah. I do feel like there is obviously ideas are not quite like math where as math was discovered in different parts of the world, it would obviously be the same because it's just math. 
but I think some ideas get close to math because like it, you don't necessarily have to track a lineage of the like golden circle do unto others as you would have them do unto you idea like that that could probably have just arisen in multiple places by like observation and logic, right? Because it's in here. Mm-hmm. Confucius has that line where he says, uh, the golden rule is there. Twice. It, it appears twice in here. Uh, I found it twice. Oh, okay. Well, I'll read the one I found it, and you can read yours where he says, uh, or the, the student says, is there a single word which can be a guide to conduct throughout one's life? And the master said, it is perhaps the word shu. Do not impose on others what you yourself do not desire. And so I I wonder how many of these ideas that are highly resonant are actually like evolutionary or like lightly biologically encoded or something. Because they they always feel very resonant and they clearly work throughout history Mm -hmm. and they keep popping up in different places. But I wonder if you need to have the inspiration from somebody else saying it or if they could have just like naturally arose in multiple places what book and verse was that uh if you remember yeah, that's the problem with doing page markings so like, oh, yes well on my book uh it was book 15 verse 21 okay or so verse in, 24 in book 12 verse 2 in the middle of a long paragraph it's uh perfect virtue uh and the master enumerates a few things and then in the middle of it is not to do to others as you would not wish done to yourself yep in this way you will be free from ill will whether in a state or in a noble family it's funny that i missed it the first time and got it the second time so in the middle of that paragraph the second one is very much like you can't miss it the uh i was i was thinking about the whole translation and prioritizing prose versus meaning. And I, I don't know if it makes sense to do a whole episode on it, but Clouds by Aristophanes is like this old Greek comedy. And it's very funny. Like I, I was actually laughing out loud at parts reading it. It's short, but it's interesting because it it's a play and it's in this kind of like rhyming prose. And so the translation that I read, at least, it rhymes or it has that meter in English. And you have to wonder, how, how much did you have to change to not only translate the meaning from ancient Greek to modern English, but also maintain the meter of the, the poetry? Like, it's pretty impressive to be able to it do that. Very. Yeah. Also to make it funny, because so much of humor is based on the norms. I'm like reading, uh, it's a lampooning of intellectual fashions in classical Athens. Like, I don't really know anything about intellectual fashions in classical Athens. Well, Athens. dude, the, the reason it's funny is it's very juvenile at parts. Like, hmm. the, the guy basically is in horrible debt because his son is addicted to horse betting. And so the guy's in like terrible debt. And so he wants to send his son to a school to learn to be like a sophist to argue his way out of all of his father's debts for him. And the son is like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. So the dad goes, but the dad is kind of an idiot. And the guy who runs the school is Socrates. And so it's him and Socrates having these just like ridiculous arguments about things. And like at one point, Socrates says like, okay, you need to like 
lay under this blanket and meditate on how you can, you know, argue to get out of this situation or whatever. And Socrates leaves and comes back. And the, I don't remember exactly how it's phrased, but the punchline is basically that instead of thinking about arguing, he's been sitting under the blanket masturbating. (laughs) (laughs) And this is, this is a bunch of like pretty hilarious, like twists in the conversations like that uh it, it's worth a read it's quick i would i would be down we should plug this in as one we could we could uh, just do it ones. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was surprised at how much i was laughing reading it it really felt like you know the the language was obviously a tad outdated but the things that were funny felt very modern uh what do you think of this? I'm just reading the Wikipedia. The play remains notorious for its caricature of Socrates and is mentioned in Plato's Apology as a contributor to the philosopher's trial and execution. Yeah, so that's actually pretty interesting because in Clouds, Aristophanes is basically accusing Socrates of running a school where he corrupts the youth into being able to make ridiculous arguments about anything and upset the social order. And that's the whole reason that the gambling father or the father of the gambling addict wants to send his son there so that he could just like talk his way out of problems and part of what socrates was killed for was corrupting the youth and like undermining civil authority and so you've got this comedy out where the main character is socrates teaching kids how to you know make these ridiculous arguments and at the end eh, this is kind of a spoiler but whatever you know it's it's not that bad of a spoiler at the end of the play the the son ends up going to the school and learning from Socrates. But when he comes back, he doesn't like do what his father wanted him to. Instead, he like beats up his father because he knows how to beat his father at arguments. And so he's like, well, why should I do what you want me to do? Like I can beat you at arguments too. I don't need to argue for you. And hmm. so you can imagine, right. If like, this is the joke that Socrates will teach your kids how to like, you know, undermine you and beat you up, then you yeah. might want to, Get rid of it. <laughs> All right. We should definitely do a later episode on this. I'll take that yeah. segue, well, though, we could, to go back. We could do a Socrates episode. That could be fun. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, do yeah. the dialogues and tie that yeah. in. Sweet. Yeah. But, but go ahead. Segway. I was going to take that tie in to untangent us and go back to uh, filial piety and uh, the mourning wow. of parents for three years after their death. Uh, and. There's a other one about the character of an individual is shown in the way they mourn for their parents. Mm. And then they have the exchange. Uh, I forget between the master and whom, uh, where he says, well, I've mourned for a year and I feel ready to move on. And the master says, okay, then you should move on. And then if I understood it later, he behind that person's back after they had left the room, I don't think it was meant as back talk. It was just meant as a commentary. He was like, yeah, like he didn't do three years of mourning, so maybe he didn't receive three years of love. I yeah, I caught that part. Yep. Yeah, how the you get like you the baby can't leave or the child can't leave their parents for the first three years or something, right? Yeah. Yep. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like a mirror, like the beginning of your life and then the end of theirs. Like it's almost uh, like you owe them. Mm-hmm. I'd heard this as a critique of like some American norms. I don't remember who the source for this was, but it was something like American parents will like put their kids in daycare and then their kids will put them into a retirement home. Uh, I I don't remember Mm -hmm. the source for this, but you kind of inspired the same. Yeah. I've seen similar things. Yeah. Same idea. 
like obviously there's exceptions to that rule like if both parents are working and you know they need to work well i think that ties to it right it's like it's just like the society that we've constructed uh has not for every family obviously it doesn't work like this but a lot of families kind of you it's hard to live that middle class lifestyle without both parents working in a lot of parts of the country yeah yeah so it's it's like it's like it's not even like their fault in the sense that like both parents work it's like they kind of have to to do to create the life that they kind of grew up with they need to do that but then yeah and then it also in the same way um this is actually something that like I, i i'm not a big fan of the uk healthcare system but like one thing that they are doing that actually makes some sense because they the 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 payer is the government in their case. So it's like, well, of course that trickles down to taxpayers. At the, you know, it's, it's not ultimately the, the government. They're like the middleman in some ways, but they more directly feel the costs. So at the, like sort of like the senior care stuff mm-hmm. is done a little bit differently where they try to have you age in your home a little bit better mm-hmm. than we do um, because they don't, it costs a lot more to put someone into a retirement center or like a skilled nursing facility than to have them do it at home. Cause if you just think about like what's required, even just in terms of rent, like you already own, you already have your house, you already have a place that you live, you know, why can't you have that person? And it's better for their life too, in many ways. So it's like a skilled nursing facility, at least in the U S has a lot more like insurance requirements, a lot more equipment requirements. Um, whereas they're trying to like incentivize, they're not making it that you can't go to a retirement home or go to a skilled nursing facility. They're just giving you incentives to stay in your house so that like you are less of a burden on their system, essentially. Yeah. I mean, the, the reasoning is different there because yeah. of, um, they have a shortage of places in those facilities. And so it's like, they've kind of created the opposite problem. Whereas in the U S we have actually a huge incentive to build retirement homes and skilled nursing facilities and that's like a growth area of the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, But just because of how like there is a lot of money to be made in that too. So it's just kind of how we've constructed things here has created some of those incentives. I feel like I've been having a version of this conversation with multiple people the last few weeks, but Neil, you and I were texting about it a few weeks ago about this weird world that we live in now, at least in the U S of everyone being very stratified by age and i don't know about i don't know about you guys but i don't really have any friends in their 60s like i have one friend's parents who i talk to some and then i have my parents obviously but like outside of that context like that's kind of it you know like i don't friends who are that age yeah yeah like i you know and when you think about all of these stories, like it's definitely true in the Analects, it's true in all of the Socratic dialogues and uh, Republic and stuff like that. Like there, there seems like it seems like there was this tradition of these esteemed elders in your society and community who you could like go to for advice. And uh, I was reading another book recently, uh, "Falling Upward," by he's a Franciscan monk, Richard, mm. Father Richard Rohr. And he, he talks about this problem a lot in the book too. It's quite good actually. And he says that we have this like weird depravity of wisdom or yeah, depravity of wisdom because we're mostly like getting advice from people our age, right? 
like you, you even think about a lot of the influencers and stuff that you follow most maybe they're like five or ten years older than you but they're not really elders like where where are all the super insightful 70 year olds with cool podcasts <laughs> right <laughs> there's engaging in a way that is like talking like us or engaging where we are in the same third spaces right like i can't i don't really, yeah. i can't think of many spaces where i would encounter and meet folks uh who are quite a bit older because they it feels more isolated like i don't really know where it's I'm very at. isolated yeah. and, well, that's and a stratifying thing about, you're talking about yeah yeah and to that point about nursing homes you you rarely see people our age with their parents living with them but that used to be the norm mm -hmm. right like not not you living with your parents right it's a very different it's the thing, other way around yeah yeah, it's yeah. the other way around. Yeah, exactly. Like then they move in with you later and help take care of the kids and whatnot. But it's like most of us live in different cities than our parents. And, uh, and then, yeah, it's like to the same point as the daycare thing. Like, I don't think any parent wants to have to put their kid into daycare at eight or 12 weeks, but a lot of them do because yeah, they do both have to work. Yeah. And then it's the same thing when their parents are at end of life. It's like, both of you have to work. So you can't have your parent in your house because you can't take care of them. So you have to put them in the nursing home. It's kind of like a messed up system in that sense. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's almost like, in, uh, there's no perfect solution. Cause I, I think the other way also has some, some issues of its own, but the way we're doing it, it's almost like um, we're saying, okay, not everyone can take care of their parents. So let's create an incentives that no one takes care of their parents or, you know, not everyone can have one parent work and one parent, like, you know, take care of the kids or both can take care of the kids, you know, so let's make it so that the incentives are, are structured so that you do, everyone sends their kids to daycare. So it's almost like, I don't know, it's like, that's the kind of system we're trying to create. And I don't know if like, we're kind of swimming in the wrong direction with some of that stuff, because it's kind of un impersonal. I, not, yeah, it's like yeah. impersonal because... Yeah. Yeah, an external person is not going to take care of your kids the way you would take care of your kids. And same thing applies for... And I think we're seeing that in education, actually, the last like couple of years, seeing a lot more people think about that, where it's like before, oh, yeah, we'll just send them to like whatever school. Um, and now people are thinking a lot more about that. And I think it's probably the same thing for parents. It's like you're, you're going to take care of your mom very differently than like a retirement home is going to take care of your mom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I... I have been wondering about this more though. How do I make friends with more older people? Like where do, where do you even go? I guess you'd have to, I think you just have to identify individuals and reach out directly or. Well, it, it goes guess, back to that third place idea. Like I think there's, yeah, it's not, um, I got to pick up like squash or something. Yeah. <laughs> pickleball. Pickleball is actually great for it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, Nat, like you have the pickleball courts. You have like a sauna in your in your house, but like I know, you yeah. know, I know, I, like I don't in New York, my gym doesn't have a sauna, but in Maryland, the gym that I used to go to had a sauna, and you would just like, I I didn't bring my headphones in there because I would be sweating like crazy, and I, I just was using that time not to have headphones on, and then it's like there's other people in the sauna, people just start talking. It's like some yeah. of those people are seventy years old. Like I, I wouldn't say I'm like friend, I was friends with any of them, but I at least had conversations with some people in the sauna that I wouldn't have. Like I ne never would have encountered this person otherwise. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like some of the isolation is not even driven by a third place. It's like these would be people normally in your house, in your family, or like on your street as your neighbors. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like at the start of COVID, Nat, when I stayed uh, at your family's place, the next door neighbors were in their 70s. 
and we became friends with them and we were like getting lunch with them. We'd go to the range, uh, with, um, Luis and, you know, we hung out with them like maybe six, seven, eight times, uh, the last three weeks we were there. Uh, we were only there for six weeks, so it was brief, but yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it shed a very unique perspective, uh, cause you know, uh, they, they talked about their lives as it, as it was sunsetting and they talked to us as we were like, you know, kind of coming up. Uh, so it was, an, it was a very valuable exchange I felt, but it was very rare outside of that. My, the, like the oldest people I know are in their forties who I see regularly and like their vibe is yeah. like our vibe, you know, that's yeah, a really yeah. good question. It is interesting. And it does feel like there's something lost there. Right. Yeah. Although yeah. It, this is the other funny thing. Uh, the, the falling upward book is, is worth reading for anybody curious. He, he's like a pretty brutal critic of, uh, one like Western society, but also a lot of like religious culture because even, even though he's, a uh, uh, Christian Catholic monk. He's like very, very direct about where he sees all the problems in religion. And he's kind of like, just because somebody's old doesn't mean they're an elder. You know, a lot mm. of people never actually go through the like, he, he describes it as like the gauntlet of moving you into the second phase of life. And we've been making it easier and easier and easier to stay in the like, first uh, self absorbed phase of life. And like, most most older people don't ever get there, um, and he says like the the danger of religion is that it convinces you that you have when you've just like adopted a uh, an orthodoxy instead of like doing the internal like self discovery. Um, yeah, you've just but, copied a set of rules yeah. without thinking yeah. about them, or yeah. So we need we need more elders. We need more elders with podcasts or. TikToks well, and or whatever. it's, we need elders, <laughs> but we also need like places. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I think some fun. of that is like, um, I mean, some of that maybe in the past would have been, and I'm not saying 70 year olds, but like in the work, in like the workplace, if you go to an office, you probably encounter people of different yeah. ages. Um, I know like the UK at least has a big pub, pub culture. So I would imagine, you know, you encounter all sorts, like all ages and all walks of life of people at, at a local pub. Um, oh, yeah, like I've seen, uh, you know, just like there's there's like those third places, which I weirdly don't think our generation has many of those. Or we like do our third places are po like podcasts, <laughs> which are like, yeah, you know, it's not like, an interactive the conversation. The gym as well. It's yeah. Like, like, sure. the, the gyms that I've gone to are all people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. When I was in Turkey in August, uh, both Angela and I noticed independently a lot of the restaurants and bars, like their equivalent in the US, in New York specifically, would probably be like 20, 30 year olds. Uh, there was all sorts of folks. You'd have like a single table hmm. and you'd have a couple of people who are clearly in their 20s or 30s, and then maybe a couple others who are, you know, considerably older, like full head of white hair and so on. And it, this isn't like, you know, your quiet restaurant vibe where it's like, oh, they're probably a family, this or that. It's like they'd be at a bar, music's blaring, like, They've got some kind of alcoholic drink in hand. They're laughing. Like it was, it was the scene where in New York, you would never see someone over <laughs> pick whatever age comes to mind. Uh, it, I don't really know. That's like, that's a cultural norm at that point. There's like, okay, we're going to like, the young folks are open to uh, others being with them and they have those friendships and they want that kind of encounter. Whereas like in New York, when you go out, at least my experience has been like, I don't know if I would be open to, you know, 
being approached by somebody significantly older and then being like, yeah, let's get a table and talk. You weren't, you weren't letting the cougars pick you up a deal? <laughs> Not what I meant, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Just join a country club or something. That may actually be a place, yeah. That would be a place, probably. But at that point, you're stratifying more by, like, income, income than you are really by... Income, yeah. 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 Um, I don't know. I, yeah, we just weirdly, like, if, if you think about it, we are, like, stratifying by, like, all these different categories. Like, we're... It's, it's very easy to not interact with people who aren't exactly like you or very similar to you. Yeah. Yeah. And weirdly, weirdly, that makes you overemphasize like the small differences between people. Yeah, yeah, it's the uh, narcissism. The, the, the small differences. What is it? The, yeah, is that is it. Narcissism. Or is that what it's called? I can't remember. Narcissism yeah. of small differences. Yeah. Yeah, because you everyone wants to feel like an individual in some ways. So you're like, oh yeah, that person has different yeah. color eyebrows than me, or something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. It's weird. I don't know how you fix that. It's like a way too big of a problem for me to solve. But it's a. Big I was issue. having a similar. I was having a similar conversation this morning about like prioritizing a friend group. Like you kind of don't want to be friends with people who are too similar to you professionally, because then it creates more of that like envy and you know vying for or like sense of competition or whatnot so it's almost better to like be friends with people who are on a similar wavelength but in very different fields because then you don't feel competitive with them but you can be aligned on a lot of ideas and have a lot of like shared beliefs and things uh which i feel like is kind of a good maybe like a healthy way to think about it right like you don't want to find people just like you you want to find people who have like a core pillar that's similar, but then the rest is very different. Um, Cause then you hopefully avoid some of that narcissism of small differences. It's like Dan Wang's article about college, how why college is so miserable hmm. because you basically don't have anything to compare yourself with others on since you're all so homogenized besides eking out teeny tiny percentage points of grades or getting the slightly better job offer. Uh, and so you kind of want to like, avoid getting into a similar situation later in life. We shouldn't, we shouldn't also become uh, a contributor to the uh, Gerard uh, pool of discussions because there's ample these days, but if you guys haven't seen, no, I, what's that? I was, I was going to say we're, we're, we're banning the, the G name. It's been, yeah, it's well, been was, overdone. <laughs> I was just going to say, if you guys haven't no, seen ahead. though, uh, Jonathan B, and David Perel's the lecture series they released. It's really good. I wish you drop those in the notes. Cool. Um, it's worth like every minute of it. I think it's something like eight hours, but it's just extremely fun. Jesus. Yeah. Cool. Uh, what did you guys think of the government stuff? I thought there was some really good things in there. Like, um, let me find it, but. There was one quote in particular about like fixing yourself first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The master said, if a minister make his own conduct correct, what difficulty will he have in assisting in government? If he cannot rectify himself, what has he to do with rectifying others? I love that. I'm like that idea. It's like so old, but it's like you, it basically is like, it, it, 
it goes back to like, don't take advice from a fat doctor, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the same idea. I just thought some of the government governance stuff was really interesting. Like there was the, another one that I'm looking at here that we had was, um, can't find the exact quotation. Maybe I didn't copy it into here, but it was about like food, uh, trust of the people and military equipment. Like those are the three things that a state needs. And it's like, if you have to give up one, what do you give up first? You have to give up two. What do you give up second? And it's like, that was really interesting as well. So first you give up the military. Then between yep. trust and food, you give up the food. And yep. because without trust, there is no government. There's no Lucy, state. Yeah. yeah, there's no state. Uh, that was a good one. The other one I really liked, uh, if the people be led by laws and uniformity sought to be given them by punishments, they will try to avoid the punishment, but have no sense of shame. If they be led by virtue and uniformity sought to be given them by the rules of propriety, then they will have a sense of shame and moreover will become good, which is like the, I think we said this a little earlier, like example, lead by example rather than through rules. I wonder like how this scales, right? It doesn't seem like something you could do at scale like the US, though it wouldn't hurt to look up to the leaders. It probably just wouldn't be sufficient. Yeah, it's sort of like the, uh, which book was this? Reading something about, was it Scale by Joffrey West? But basically we making the argument that, that one, yeah. like above a certain size, you almost can't, like, some, some of this philosophy breaks down once you get to a certain number because like, obviously if you're within Dunbar's number, you can kind of like govern by social uh, standing. Then as it gets bigger, it gets harder and harder. And then it seems like once you're past the size of like a city, you almost can't have a government structure that's based on like caring about the other people in your country. I'm, I'm butchering it, but there's it was some argument along those lines where it's, so then when I read quotations like this, my impulse is that it sounds very nice in theory, but perhaps doesn't work in practice in modern like nation state scales. You would probably need like a strong set of intermediaries where the person at the top influences the one rank beneath them and mm-hmm. repeat all the way down. And that would probably be the only way it could scale. Well, and you know, it might work if you have a very, uh, like for lack of a better term, homogenized culture, because I feel like Japan kind of operates this way hmm. where there is this very strong moral center to the country's culture. Or just, you know, as an example, you can like leave a laptop in a cafe for an hour and like nobody will take it, right? And you can come back and pick it up and you know, there, there's no trash, right? Like people don't litter and like there, there are rules, but it seems more of a like, no, this is how you behave in Japan kind of thing. But it's also a super homogenized culture, like basically doesn't allow immigration. Uh, mm. And like, so you're able to maintain that uh theoretical base right whereas if you've got this like ridiculous melting potty country like the u.s of you know tons of different belief systems and sets of values and priorities and whatnot it might be harder for something like that to function so i was actually listening to um dan carlin's uh hardcore history there's the wrath of the cons Mm. segment that he series that he has on on uh the mongols and a piece of one of the episodes I listened to uh, this morning 
is so relevant to this. So basically the Mongols before invading, particularly like Muslim areas in particular, because I think like Islam had recently conquered a lot of the areas that then the Mongols briefly took from them. Um, because they went to the Middle East and to Central Asia and stuff, um, they would almost, they would, they would kind of pre-announce, I don't know how, what method they did to pre-announce, but they would allow local, they would say that after their rule, like under their rule, local people could worship whoever they want. And it wouldn't have to be like their religion or, you know, or nothing else. Or, and I know the, the Muslims have, um, there's like a tax that they put on non-believers. So they were, they would eliminate that tax. And, the way that Dan Carlin worded, he said it's worded um, by some history professor that that he had read, was the Mongols were taking getting rid of the spiritual insurance of a place, and the reason they were they would do that is if people are all kind of believing their own thing, they're less cohesive as a unit, and they're harder mm-hmm. to control, and they're harder to kind of instruct in one direction from a military perspective. So they become just like a little bit more all over the place mm. when they have different belief systems among different people. They're like not as cohesive of a unit. Yeah. So they're just to... easier to control. That was his, that was their, their point. Easier oh, for okay. them to yeah. control with, with authoritarian tactics. Easier to be controlled, even if they couldn't necessarily be as effectively enlisted as soldiers or whatever. Y- yes. It was more, they could control them with authoritarian tactics rather than um, like have them because, you know, if everybody is kind of fighting for the same God, that's like its own motivation. Yeah. Right, and, right. But you might not be able to control that, right? The clergy or the uh, the sort of religious leaders kind of have that authority then. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like uh, what you see during times of crisis where the little differences go away and everybody aligns towards the same goal, right? It's like two, 2002, Bush had an 83% approval rating or whatever. It was coming out of 2001. And it was like, okay, we're all going to yeah. rally together. Uh that's crazy to imagine. Can you imagine a president today having an 83% approval rating? I guess we'd have to No, be but you know what, though? Yeah. If we did, we'd probably have like a real problem <laughs> yeah. to yeah. cause that. Be a... Good point. You know what I mean? Like something, whatever would yeah, cause yeah. an 83% approval rating would mean that there was some major issue going on. Yep. Russia, Russia, China, new, uh, new axis of evil. Yeah, like it would have to be something major, like very major. Um, but yeah, that was that. That's an interesting thing about the um, about the, the 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 from Dan Carlin's podcast. Which, by the way, if somebody has, I got to listen to that one. It's I incredible. The concept. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where did where did you buy it, Neil? Is it on Audible? Uh no, I had actually bought it a while. I think it's on Apple. Maybe I'd pay oh, for okay. it or something. I think you can buy it oh. on like. Apple Music or something. <laughs> I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, I bought it a while back to listen to on a plane, and or maybe on his website. I don't know. I had it on my phone. Uh, I bought it, it like website. way back, and then I've been listening to it like the last week or so. Got it. You can get it on his website. Yeah, I bought the. First, yeah. In 2021, I resolved. I was like, I'm not going to read books this year, and I just made my way through like as much of hardcore history as I could. Uh, it was really well spent time, actually, because it's just it's better yeah. than any history book. Yeah, I I totally agree, and I'm like, uh, it feels weird to actually put made you think and hardcore <laughs> history in the same form of media. Like they're not the same thing. Yeah, yeah. His is more like a show, like a TV show. Even it's like it's like, yeah, it's an and, and I, history. You obviously have to exactly. It's an audio book. Yeah. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah, which yeah. a deal we know you know all about. So. <laughs> 
Have you listened to? Uh, <laughs> so unnecessary. Have you listened to the uh, from the what is it? Death Throes of the Republic. No, I haven't. That What's one, that one about? About the end of the Roman Republic. But that, oh, that's a very good that's... one, unrelated to any of our conversation, but very related to like America. There's just so many strange parallels. Uh, in some cases, like almost like blow for blow. Uh, but it was recorded oh, like wow. 10 plus years ago. So you know that he's not trying to make that kind of a statement. It's just as the observer, it's really clear to see uh, where some of those parallels are. The biggest one uh, I'll just throw in here as bait to get you guys to listen is how like over the course of a couple of elections, uh, they went from having just a couple of populists to basically all populists. And we've now had that mm, in the wow. US where between 2008 to present, it went from just like one or two populists on either side to now it's like, who's not? Uh, there's mm. a few other similar uh, trends like that. I will up that on my, uh, like, I'll, I'll definitely get, get to listening to that. I actually I don't just, know like, as much about the Roman Empire as I probably, like, I don't think I've ever read a book about the Roman Empire. I just know, like, what, whatever they taught us in school, which we could do, may uh, not be true. <laughs> we could do Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire for a, a month-long Made You Think series. <laughs> yeah. A month? That's like, isn't that like six yeah, books? like a year. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there might not be a need. I mean, just the hardcore history one is so good and so complete. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll check that out. We have a section in our notes here about Abrahamic uh, teachings and the similarities to Confucius. That's the. I see there started. was. Yeah. That's the. No, but I, I was going to say I saw there's the the end of that. You have the God. The like surprised to see in book yeah. twenty suddenly say God, yeah. Did you guys pick up on that? It just I don't know. Your point nowhere. about a different translator might be true. Let me so, see. Just to put this in context. In book twenty, out of nowhere, in I guess there's only one long verse in book twenty. Uh, it's just changes oh, yeah. tone entirely about what would previously be called like heaven is now called oh most great. Now it says oh God. Heaven. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah uses the word sin yeah like it just suddenly really changes yeah i was just going to speculate on what happened like it, it's the translator thing may be correct i this is why like any of these translated texts it's so hard to know if you're getting the real version that's what i was like alluding to earlier with the Rumi thing it's you know it's it's are you getting the translator's interpretation are you getting like did the word actually change in the root text is what I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. And also, did they have a word for God, right? Like, that's another thing, like, because it wasn't a monotheistic place necessarily. Actually, what what was um, the, like, quote, religion uh, so in China at the time? Because it couldn't be Buddhism because the Buddha was, yeah, like, alive at that time. It was probably, like, uh, you know, kind of a, a pagan like nature worship out soon the monotheism in that heaven is seen as an omnipotent entity that's interesting hmm. so heaven and god are the same thing then i wonder yeah, early early changed. folk religion in ancient china yeah i wonder what changed in the translation because they were using heaven yeah. before that suddenly lord or god yeah yeah So it, it, they did define it as a monotheistic religion? Well, this is interesting because it's basically saying, yeah, let's see. 
there is evidence that the people worshipped a supreme god who is king of many other lesser deities as early as 2200 BC. Uh, it looks like it was a very like nature-based religion. Hmm. Um, matrilinear, so women women were dominant. I'm just reading off of this worldhistory.org article, which is kind of interesting, but like in all of these ancient Chinese tombs, there's like, I guess, really beautiful tombs for women, but like no evidence of any high-ranking males in burials. So it was almost like, uh, it was like not, not just um, like in the religion, but also like in practice, like women were the authorities. Like, you know, it's pretty rare for that. You, you like, this is an interesting read, actually. Okay, I'll link this in the show notes. There's that one passage around, like, uh, what does heaven say? Like, heaven does not speak. Uh, so the passage goes, Zekong said, If you, master, do not speak, what shall we, your disciples, have to record? The master said, Does heaven speak? The four seasons pursue their courses, and all things are continually being produced. But does heaven say anything? Which, like, this was in response to uh, it being more of a Taoistic, like, heaven and God as one, as opposed to a personal uh, or personified God. It's almost like a hybrid. Um, one other idea I wanted to hit on was the the uh, friendship idea. So there was one quotation Wait, we have. Before we move on, before we move on, Neil, I want to read one thing. So is it it's related to this and it ties back oh, to what yeah, we yeah, sure. talked about Definitely. early on. Uh, it's talking about how uh, ancient China transitioned from this like folk religion to this blend of Taoism and Confucianism and eventually Buddhism. And it says, um, uh, Confucius's work resulted in a more rational and restrained view of the world. The work of Lao Tzu and the development of Taoism might be seen as a reaction to Confucian principles if not for the fact that Taoism developed many centuries before the traditional date assigned to Lao Tzu. It is much more probable that Taoism developed from the original nature folk religion of the people of China than that it was created by a 6th century philosopher. Therefore, it is more accurate to say that the rationalism of Confucianism probably developed as a reaction to the emotionalism and spiritualism of those earlier beliefs, including Taoism. So that's kind of cool. Like Similar to what we were talking about at the beginning of this, like, more practical, you know, how to behave type teaching and how different that is from the Tao. Uh, it seems like there's actually a historical argument for that too, as it transitioned from, you know, folk mysticism to this kind of like slightly more organized Taoism and then like then into Confucianism. I'll share this link in the chat. Yeah, we should put it in the show notes. Yeah, totally. What were you going to say, Neil? No, I was moving on to the friendship idea that Confucius was. Uh, oh yeah, was talking about where have this is from the the book, but have no friends not equal to yourself. And kind of, uh, we have it in our notes here, but like your five closest friends basically shape how you think, and it's the same same idea. And I don't know if he means not equal to yourself in terms of achievement, but in terms of uh, the key theme here was virtue uh, and just kind of morals and values and have no friends, not equal to yourself is probably, you know, you shouldn't, if you're aiming to be a virtuous person, not having friends who are, you know, kind of 
yeah. not virtuous or, or not attempting to be virtuous. Yeah. There was one. It's the same idea. Old, it's interesting. Old, how, like, old idea. All these ideas. Yeah. It's interesting how all these ideas have existed for basically forever. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, actually related to that. One thing that um, I saw in my research on the book before, uh, before actually uh, reading the book was Confucius considered himself a transmitter. This is from Wikipedia. Confucius considered himself a transmitter for the values of earlier periods, which he claimed had been abandoned in his time. So, so it's just like, it's so interesting. This is like a 2,500 year old book. Yeah. And he's like, you know, and this is written 2,500 years ago by his followers and his teachings were just like things from the time before that they were no longer doing. But it does make you wonder like what, how, how, how long before, right? Is it like, 200 years before, which we would view like, you know, people who are like, oh, we don't follow the founding fathers and stuff. That really, from a length of time perspective, was not that long ago. It's very odd. It was like 250 years ago. People seem to do yeah. this. The pre-flood societies. Yeah, the pre-flood. Exactly. That's who they're, that's, that's the morals. Yeah. yeah. Plato too, you know, that's what Atlantis was. Yeah, I, I've actually been reading, um, what's the, uh, or not reading, but. I listened to an episode with Graham Hancock. Oh my God. <laughs> and it was, it was, I feel like I was waiting for the aquatic apes to come out. I was waiting oh, that for totally that. fit with his vibe. Yeah. No, I was like, that should be his next book. Should be about aquatic apes. <laughs> did, I, did I send you guys the video on uh, dolphin birthing centers? Yes. I did. Okay. That was so cool. <laughs> that was TikTok so video. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I that was also wild. To, was that Darwin's dangerous idea? I think so, right? Aquatic apes. Dude, it's just fact. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it just makes sense. <laughs> no, but in the Graham Hancock thing, the thing that was interesting was his like theory about the earlier migration to the Americas was that you know it was done through um, along the coasts. Right, that you wouldn't have had to be, you wouldn't have had to have like a ship that could navigate across the Pacific, right? If there you were do, ways, you do, yes, exactly. And like, how much of a role like diving for shellfish and like getting food from the ocean played in that? And I just, I don't know, I immediately thought of aquatic apes. <laughs> <laughs> the birthing right. center thing is cool. We should put that link in the show notes too, just for fun. <laughs> Just for fun. Save, save, save the funny conspiracy stuff to the end. I agree. <laughs> People see it in the show notes and they're like, how did they end up here? Gotta <laughs> find out. Did you guys watch Ancient Apocalypse? I'm just reading about it right now. No, I didn't. No, what's that? That's the Graham Hancock uh, Netflix show where he like peddles no, his No, I haven't watched it. Oh, no. I haven't watched it, but I, I just... Like I enjoy listening to Graham Hancock on interviews or something because it's, yeah. it's entertaining. But I don't think I would actually like read any of, or read or watch much of his primary material. <laughs> Wait, how did you guys hear? He's about an entertaining interview, though. He's an entertaining interview. I'll give him that. He's, when you guys brought him yeah, up, I mean, what was it based on? Well, he does these oh. interviews where he talks about like pre-flood societies and like ancient, you know, advanced humans that we've lost all trace of and. Uh, like They're not necessarily he, all trace of like basically there are trace of, yeah yeah there's like weird anomalies in like 
even like Native American DNA that doesn't really make sense based on the current understanding of when they came over. Uh, and then there've also been finds in the Americas that are like older than that, but, you know, have kind of been attributed to like, oh, this was misdated or, you know, something went wrong with the carbon dating uh, and it's not accurate, even though, you know, basically like that, that's how the evidence has been explained. And yeah. his yeah. take on it is, well, we're throwing out evidence. So, uh, you know, maybe we need to like revise the theory, but that's his, his main topic is, yeah, this ancient society that was <laughs> kind of wiped away. Um, but then like the, the sub ideas are actually, I find almost more believable, which are that like, I was going to say, I feel like yeah. he's probably 20, 30% right. Hmm. Yeah. And then, Yeah. Like, it, it wouldn't like, shock me that it wouldn't shock me if there were humans in the Americas, you know, 50,000 years ago, rather than no, 10,000 years. We keep years. finding evidence yeah, that older. points in that direction. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. like, and it's really, uh, as far as I know, there's not like a hard reason that it has to be whatever that like 12,000 year date is. That right. Like, like, I think the they were in Australia 80,000 years ago. And it's like, well, if they get to Australia... You know, yeah, and it's not. There, there are people who are like super, you know. Oh well, there was actually like flying cars and shit, but we've lost all of it because blah blah blah. Uh, I don't think he's like that. He's just like saying that people were traveling more and like building, you know, small towns and stuff, and more, you know, almost like maybe early Greco-Roman era of like organization and construction, like much earlier than we think. Um, which isn't like that. I mean, it's the same fucking DNA, or right? like his own reason. We couldn't do we that. We couldn't yeah. have, as far as I know. Um, and yeah, if there was, you know, this massive like flooding-ish whatever event, and if they were all coastal towns, then we could have like lost a lot of that record. Right? Yeah, and the ice age probably fucked up a lot of things uh, yeah. that otherwise would have been, you know, not uh, like I, I think like as a as a climate catastrophe that could have messed up a lot of these more advanced societies. Yeah. And yeah. I, I find that I mean, stuff like definitely worth entertaining because it's, it's not like a high stakes thing to be right or wrong about. So like, why not? You know? Yeah. Why not open up about it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was something he talked People about really in the interview. Him, <laughs> that was something that he talked about in the interview though. It's like every field gets these dogmas that are created. And then to go against that, it becomes really hard to get funding if you become known as somebody who goes against that. And then you kind of have to like independently, uh, do a lot of this stuff, which is kind of what he's yeah. been he's been doing. If anyone hasn't listened to it, the there's a Joe Rogan interview with him and the editor in chief of Reason Magazine. I think it is. Oh no, I haven't listened to that one. And so it's it's like them just fighting about stuff for three <laughs> or four hours. But but it's it's good because like I think Hancock can get like carried away and go off on these like tangents, and it's hard to know like okay, where did he like lose the thread here? And the guy from Reason is like pretty good at being like, well, okay, let's actually look at the evidence for this thing, and you know, and then they argue about it. But you're kind of like he's not he's he not really him debunking back. him. He pulls him back, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he is like challenging him pretty directly on some stuff, but it's it's good for keeping you sane because you know it's like you listen to like Alex Jones is another example of this, right? Like if you, if you listen to him be interviewed for three or four hours, by the end of it, you're kind of like, are chemtrails bad? Right, like, <laughs> you get sucked start, into their world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, maybe I do need to go research this. <laughs> you need the moderating presence. Some people really have that reality distortion field, like to borrow the Walter Isaacson thing about Steve totally. Jobs. I think it's 
and, and it's used in a variety of ways. But yeah, some people have that like really, it's like a quality to them that they can suck you into their world. <laughs> Is Randall right. Carlson the right, guy? Who's the, who's the third guy? Sure uh, maybe Randall, him. maybe it was with Randall Carlson. Yeah. Is okay. he the historian or something? Uh, he's, yeah, he's not Reason Magazine, but he's a uh, researcher, host of the podcast, Cosmographia. Oh, uh, there's one that they did with somebody who, like, agreed with Graham Hancock and one where they disagreed. Uh, I'll try to find it afterwards. Maybe that was it. Okay. I'd be curious to listen to that one. Got to get my Graham yeah. Hancocking indoctrination. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe um, I'm just remembering. Maybe it was one of these Randall Carlson episodes. I get the sense trying to wrap, but I have actually one that I saw you guys put this quote in, and I hadn't understood it when I saw it, uh, which was, only when the cold season comes is the point brought home that the pine and the cypress are the last to lose their leaves. I, I pasted that one in. I just, oh, okay. I just loved it because uh, it felt very timely for like recession and layoff season, right? Just like everything that we saw leading up to 2022, just like all these companies, you know, it's like everybody's making so much money, rah, 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 rah. And then as soon as like interest rates go up and the tide goes out, you like realize how unsustainable so much of it was. And like mm. who, you know, who was actually robust, right? Who's actually keeping their leaves through the winter. And uh, I, I feel like it's just one of those quotations that like, stood out because of the time period of reading it where it's like, ah, yes. Okay. It's like exactly what we're experiencing right now. Um, it's kind it's of very beautiful. Kind of interesting. All right. Yeah, yeah it, it is very beautiful. I just like, I think a lot about that, uh, arc versus Berkshire Hathaway returns chart. Have you guys seen this? Yeah, I've seen no. this. Yep. <laughs> where they're like for 2020 and 2021, there was just all this talk about like, oh, Kathy was the new Warren Buffett, like ARC is destroying Berkshire. And you have these charts of like ARC's returns was like way outpacing Berkshire's. And, you know, sort of classic Buffett is like, oh, okay, well, we'll wait and see, right? And then now they're like way down below Berkshire's returns for the last four or five years because they just yeah. had that insane run with Tesla and all these growth tech stocks and it just cratered. Yeah, here I found a good image for that. It's like now it's thirty nine percent up yeah. since January twenty twenty versus minus down six percent. Yeah, since January twenty twenty though. So Arc had that meteoric rise, and then I mean from the peak it's way 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 down, but yep. even from January twenty twenty it's down. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's like when the tide goes out, you see he's been swimming naked. That's the, <laughs> the similar similar phrase. I think I prefer um, the pine. All right, should we, should we wrap up? Yeah. Should we wrap yeah, up? Yeah. Uh, what book are we doing next? What have we decided? Body keeps score, right? Body keeps score. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm like halfway through it. It's actually way heavier than I thought. Yeah, it's heavy. I didn't realize all the, like where a lot of the examples were coming from and also how common some of these like horrific things are that was the other part that was yeah. so far been shocking to me yeah um but yeah anyway it's like it is really interesting though nat i don't know it doesn't sound like you've started it but yeah it's it is really interesting it's just heavy yeah cool um, 
Yeah, so we'll do that. What are we doing after that? Was that Art of War? Art of War. All right, we're continuing on our Eastern theme. Maybe after that, yeah. we can do a, a Socrates episode or something. Ooh, I like that. And then we, we, could, should... we could circle back for the Bhagavad Gita, maybe. After that oh, one. I would love to read the yeah. Gita. It's been on my list forever. Um, we should yeah. put this... I feel like we've been talking about doing that since, like, episode one. <laughs> we should yeah. put a link to this in the notes. Uh, yeah, uh, I love that copy you it's... have. It's beautiful, it's awesome. and it just has all of, I mean, many of the ancient Eastern works, um, and they're well translated. Cool. It's a great book. It also was not expensive, like on Amazon. It was not like for how beautiful of a hardcover it is. It's not like I think it was like fifteen bucks or something. Like, oh wow, or seventeen bucks or something. Like it wasn't bad. It's not bad. No. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, it's been good. The translations are are good, and then the Art of War even has commentary. They have one yeah. version with commentary, one version without commentary. So right, cool. that's helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, please Alrighty. Uh, so send us feedback on Grab the name. those books. Yes. If you enjoy the show, despite the name, please text it to one friend right now. We'll wait. Did you do it? <laughs> Leave a review. <laughs> Leave a review. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Post I'm about Matt it. Eliason. Yeah, post about it. Or follow, follow me on TikTok. I'm, I'm Matt Eliason on TikTok. Yeah. I'm, is he, I'm, yeah, I'm increasingly you're, over Twitter. You're diversifying. <laughs> diversifying. <laughs> I post a thing on Twitter right. and it gets seen by like 5,000 people. I post a thing on TikTok and it gets seen by like 50,000 people. It's just, yeah. it's just better. <laughs> Friend me on Facebook. You know, <laughs> <a little> bit. <laughs> you email me at aol.com. Yeah. You can join my Club Penguin chat room. <laughs> my aim, my aim screen name is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All, All right. Well, till next time. Till next we did time. it. Cheers, guys.